to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Welcome back for another Tenuous Links Golf Podcast. Philly. How goes it, big fella? Sure, do. it goes well, and it's good to see you for your first intro to the podcast for 2021. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. We've had some reasonable excuses, mind you. Yeah, Exciting ones. A fair bit going on in the background. That's um, that's all good. The season two is coming together nicely. We're wrapping that up, so that should be out, what, in four to five weeks, I believe? Well, we don't want to commit to anything too much, and, uh, <laughs> and season one is still performing its head off, so if you haven't caught yes. it... And I'm glad you went with head there, Phil. <laughs> if you haven't caught it, get on it. Five hundred three Fox Sports five hundred three in Australia, Amazon Prime US UK. There's, there has that for a plug. Oh, that took go. us a long time, didn't it? <laughs> now today we should probably preface this with it's going to be a bit of a catch up uh, chat with each other. We're going to not be as formulaic as we have been in the past, Phil. Let's just have a bit of a, a bit of a chat about golf and all things related. Let's start with something that's pretty strong in your heart or, or something that annoys you as much as it annoys anyone else. And it's this line between cheating and playing within the rules. We're starting with it. We're going hard early and I like this because it's something that has existed for a while and there's been a lot of conversations around it. And obviously we're not talking about going back on plug balls or not plug balls and we're not talking about all these other things, but it's just about knowing if you think that you are not worthy of a drop, is it cheating to ask for a ruling? And I'm not suggesting in any way, shape or form that this has happened. It's just a philosophical discussion. Okay, Phil. It's this fine line between the ethics of, of sport or sportsmanship and the actual rules. It's, it's a trend that's – we see in a lot of sports, we see this, um, this push, almost a celebration of, of pushing to the line – and stepping over it and being brought back by, a, you know, the referee or an umpire, um, leaving it up to them to make a call. And it's almost seen as just a part of the sport, whereas golf, to a large degree, well, to a large degree, it is self-governing, isn't it? So um, it, it's different compared to other sports. It is, a, it is a really good question. I'm very much of the belief that if, it's, if you know it's not right, then it's cheating, regardless of the rules. Yeah, and, and cheating is such a – so it's, there's a fair bit of venom in that mm. word, cheating. And so I'm not going to – I don't want to – I don't want to use cheating. It's about rule manipulation. And so we've had – you know, going back over recent history with the rule changes, we've had Matt Kuchar digging out big bits of sand followed by little bits of sand, marginally smaller bits of sand because they weren't uniform sand. You know, shame on whoever created this earth. That's The grain size mattered. That's right. Then we've had Patrick Reed with his embedded ball because the rules official had actually never bothered to actually feel what grass is like underneath it, that it all feels like the balls are embedded. Anyway, that's by the by. But then in the Arnold Palmer, and this is not Bryson bashing because we're going to get into lots of Bryson positivity, but even the commentators were incredulous at the drop that he got mm. on 16 when a sprinkler head, which in theory needs to be in line of play, interfering with stance or swing, yet was in a direct line between where Bryson was and where the pin was, but that's not where he wanted to play. So he got a drop and then hit his putt 20 feet or, or, or let's say 30 degrees to the right 
of where it was going. So had he actually hit the putt from where the ball was in the first place, and it didn't affect the result. It didn't affect anything. But it was that idea of the sprinkler head is in my line of sight. It's kind of annoying me. Let's see how I go. It sort of reminds me a little bit of um, Tiger a few years back at the Masters where he took his drop further back than he, um, you know, from where he was just so that he could have a, a better yardage. Or Larry Myers when he was meant to have dropped the ball from shoulder height, but apparently he knew what rule was coming uh, and decided to drop it almost from knee height at the Masters. Not that that one still hurts me as much as 96 still hurts me, but we won't, <laughs> we won't go through that. Is this just a, a flow-on effect of having a sport with so many rules that the players are then going to go, well, I'm going to use those rules to my advantage where I can? Because they're not, they're so rigid in other parts. There's no no room for for moving in a whole swathe of rules uh, within golf. Now they want to use. Well, let's just use it to to my advantage. I can think, you blame them? I guess. Yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, because it's I very easy well. for me to. But I can throw stones at anyone at any point in time. I'm happy to. I mean, I'm actually a very bad throw. They won't hit. As them. long as they're within 15 meters, <laughs> that's right. They won't hit them. And if they're within 15 metres, they'll barely make it to them. <clears throat> but I'm happy to throw a stone every now and again. But I was reminded from a, a video on Twitter of a Rafa Nadal versus Djokovic tennis mm-hmm. match where Rafa hit a serve, Djokovic hit an outstanding passing shot for the win, and Rafa challenged his own serve. To see if it was in you, mate. To hope that it was out. Yeah. So therefore the, the winner wouldn't have counted so he could therefore serve again. So is that is that positive rule manipulation? Is that flat out cheating or is it just it's, bad sportsmanship? It's bad it's certainly bad sportsmanship. It's incredibly cynical, isn't it? It's pretty poor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I'd do it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but you are very cynical. Can you imagine John McEnroe? Can you imagine John McEnroe? The ball was in. No, but <laughs> you or, cannot or be advice. serious. Yeah, yeah. You know, he won that point. What are you doing? Yeah. The follow-up to that is, are there too many rules in golf? Are there some that need changing? There, there may well be. There was probably, uh, and thinking about different rules, there was one thing. I did make a bit of a mistake um, in trying to get some more opinion about the Bryson drop, just dealing with that finally. And in terms of Google and bad search terms, should Bryson have been given free relief at Bay Hill? Um, <laughs> don't search that. Be more specific or start on a website and use their internal search engine because it's amazing what comes up when you type. Did, did you have your parents filter on? I hope you did. The, uh, yes, no, parental parental lock. I'm actually going to have to lock myself out. But, yeah, the, so the rule changes, which then get onto, and I know they always assess what mm-hmm. they are, and you know my biggest bugbear is about this knee-height drop. Because no, it's, it's a thing I've got written down here. The drop, shoulder height or knee-height, just place it and move on. It is a load of crap. But but following Westwood hitting his drive into, the, into a divot, on 18 at Bay Hill, and just mm. not objecting to it, just getting over it. There was some conversation around, well, should you get a free drop if you're in a mm. divot? What I didn't understand is why the divot was so underfilled is probably, and maybe that's the way we should have been doing it all this time, but it, the ball actually fell into it, whereas I've always been taught to smooth it over. That's by the by. Uh, maybe caddies, again, strike. But but that idea of should you have to play out of a divot, and, well, of course you should, or you can take an unplayable and drop it and – Get on with it. But is there is there room for bifurcation of rules, which says in a club comp, you get to drop out of a divot, but in a PGA Tour event? I mean, we talk about bifurcation of equipment, so two sets of rules around equipment. Should there actually be two sets of, of rules? I mean, at the moment, I can't, I can't rake a bunker, but they were hitting in bunkers and they have to hit out of them. 
So maybe this is more to the point as opposed to there's too many rules and we need to change them. There should be a – or maybe what we need to do is just say, you know what, PJ Tour, here's your rules. Operate within those. If you ask for a ruling that's a load of shot, you're going to be docked four shots and, <laughs> and put, potentially shot. That'd put, yeah, well, that would put an end to it pretty quickly, I would have thought. I wonder what would happen if there was a if – if you ask for a ruling and it's found to not be in your favour, you mm-hmm. get penalised one stroke for time wasting – and fine. I wonder how many people ask for rulings. Yeah, oh, interesting. With the with the divot, I'm a bit each way on that. I used to be just take the drop. You should be allowed to drop out of a divot. Why? But there's there's that element of luck in sport as well that that just we can't we can't get rid of. So I think I'm I think I'm with you, Phil. That you should still have to play it out of a divot. So played out of a divot. The 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 bunker thing. I kind of hope, and I know we've spoken about it a bit. I kind of hope that that you place the ball in the bunker. Hangs around because it certainly made my life easier. So I'm only leaving two in as opposed to three in. The knee high drop. I've spoken to a lot of people about this idea of continuous putting and there's got to be a lobby for this. Led by you. Look, the one rule that I'd like to see reversed is the no penalty for a double hit. That just seems ridiculous to me. But around the, like those where a chip shot gets caught up in the grass and you hit the ball. And you hit it twice. Uh, no penalty anymore. Apparently that was changed was it a couple of years ago? It might have even no, been would last have been year. In, yeah, yeah. That that seems that's a joke to me. You know, it's always been a penalty. What? Why are we changing those little rules like that? But we're not, we're not, you know, sort of fixing the the bigger issues in the game. Anyway, that's that that's mine, Phil. I'd love to see that go back to um back to a penalty. That's right. Let's make golf harder again. No, but it's True. not about it being harder. That's that's a you've played a poor stroke, uh, poor stroke there. Yes, I, thank you. You've I have. missed it over and over again. I I have yeah. done that. I am the double hit king. Because I have no short game. So really, you're trying to penalise me for having no short game. Is that not fair enough? Well, probably is. Well, why don't you just hit it six times, Phil? I, I did to get it to that point. Why don't you just turn it into a bit of hurling? I tell you, I've been tempted at times to take unplayables <laughs> when I've got a chip shot and just continue unplayables until I can putt it. Oh, don't put me short. Don't put me short of a bunker. Any, anyway, so I think that there is a – getting back to the original point, I think there is a fine line between between – Sportsmanship and um, I don't want cheating's not the right word. I need a new word. Banditry. It's still, but is banditry not cheating, Phil? So this is it. We're trying so hard to avoid the word because someone picking up a ball and looking around and dropping it somewhere nicer is considered the same. If that's called cheating, that's that's a horrific thing to be doing on a golf course. That's considered the same thing as these subtle slight, slight of hands or or rule manipulations, as you say. And so you don't want to classify them all as one. I get that. But it's cheating, Phil. Theft, theft of a dollar's worth of lollies is still theft. Bugger. <laughs> there we go. All right, let's get rid of it. Uh, let's Special move on to- but shouldn't shouldn't sponsors have something to say around this? They don't want to see that. They don't want that to be. Um, you know, you're paying all this money for these guys, and they're, they're acting in in those unethical ways. Well, it's interesting watching. That was just an attempt to segue into the no, next. No, no, I, I actually like that. It wasn't because great. What was fascinating is, and we, you know, gear changes and all the rest of it that happened over the off season. But where Patrick Reed goes into the off season uh, or plays his last season of the the year with a Nike hat on, and then starts mm. this season with another. Sponsors had his head, and you part wonder whether one of them has bailed, or mm. one of them stepped up. And is there a positive or a negative connotation that? Because immediately controversy followed him. You're like, damn! I wish you just hadn't worn that hat. Others are a little bit more subtle with when it comes to sponsors, and some are a fraction more overt. Damien, 
and I've got it. I do have to, and I have been waiting to get this one off my chest. And then Bryson fed it. I was watching a tournament <laughs> that a young buck by the name of Brandon Grace, who I is a flusher, mm-hmm. won mm-hmm. down in Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, one of those Ricas. And the question was asked. He hit two outstanding bunker shots on seventeen and eighteen. And the question was asked by the reporter mm-hmm. about how good those bunker shots were. So, what do you think his answer would have started with? Well, it should have been something along the lines of, "Yeah, I, I, I nipped it beautifully. I yeah. threw it up high. I got yeah, sitting great. It was sitting great. I was lucky. I had two good lies. I didn't fully understand the. Yeah, well, I hit a great drive off seventeen with my new low spinning driver, brought to you by whoever the bloody hell it was. No, no, no. no he. Uh, Mm, yeah. So you're going to describe how you got to the bunker? Are we going to get the whole description of what happened or you just – anyway. Um, this comment is brought to you by Valvoline. And, uh, this comment is brought – you know what I mean. Check out, check out my beautiful – yes, and I, I thought it was going to be slippery, but no, I had this wonderful non-slip sunscreen on my hands that are brought to you by – yeah, That's I right. What you're so, so you Every can comment. imagine Cash my, for comments. You can imagine my joy, cash for comments, Pepsi. Uh, you can imagine my joy when watching Bryson get interviewed after an outstanding win full of passion and emotion, and we will talk mm-hmm. on, uh, as I say, more about Bryson. So the question was, how much of a battle was it out there for you today? And the answer was, oh, yeah, well, you know, I've got to thank my sponsors. And then he starts to reel off his sponsors, but then at the end of that, Copsa and some of the others. <laughs> some of the other sponsors. <laughs> imagine being one of the others. Look, hang on, there's the, like there was a brand on the side of his hat mm-hmm. that didn't get a mention. So if you're going to go down, here's just something for PGA Pro Street if you want to go down the thank the sponsors route, and I don't encourage it, and I think if brands expect players to do it, then they should actually maybe look for mm-hmm. new marketing teams because there is better ways of getting the job done, like the fact that mm-hmm. he was carrying it the whole way through the round. But if you're going to try and sleaze those mentions in, then you better get out a list and you better name them all because if I'm one of the others, I'm not running around the office going, you beauty, he thanked us, along mm. with the others. No, Bryson. Yeah. Sponsorship's a weird one, though, Phil. It really is weird. I don't know weird. how a lot of these decisions get made. Like One of the, one of the questions I've had for, for ages, and it keeps coming to the fore, is just on, on the sponsors, has Nike had a return on its McElroy investment? Like, could you call could you call that sponsorship a win? They spent, what did they spend? $100 million early on. And then they re-signed him for another two hundred million, um, just to wear just to wear clothing. And this is for a guy who so many people in golf can't stand. Quite frankly, he's a serial whinger. He's a dummy spitter. You know, since they've signed, so they spent three hundred grand, uh, three hundred grand, three hundred million on him, and he's won two majors, which was seven years ago. Now, now it depends on what the reasoning is. I mean, obviously, majors are not the only reason you'd put that kind of money behind people. But, but my question. To you, I guess, is – I mean, because you've worked inside marketing teams at golf manufacturers, at some of the bigger ones. How do, how do marketing and financial departments come to such a decision where they throw, you know, say $200 million, um, with one guy instead of, you know, hedging their bets across a whole sleuth of different prospects? It's a very good question, and my answer will probably explain why I've been fired from all those companies <laughs> that I was in the, the marketing department of. But partly is you're banking on the future. You've got to hedge mm. and you've got to say, partly I, I want to own you and I want to stop others owning you for fear of, of getting there and I've got the money. And there's no question when you look at the early Tiger Rory ads, which were unbelievable by Nike. I mean, they were, they were some of the best 
commercials, you know, the, the two where they're hitting balls on the range and then one ends up in the guy's cup. And, you know, that, that is just genuine golf barons inspired gold. But I'm, here's a really bad analogy and because I'm getting really good at bad analogies. <laughs> Apparently, when it comes to civil suits and particularly in the field of, let's say, medicine, big law firms will often contract specialist advice from the top two doctors that they can find in their field, but then also commission the next seven or eight, not to get any advice from them. Just but, to put them on the shelf. But to ensure, to ensure mm. that no the other team doesn't have access to them. Mm. So is there an element of, and in fact, the, this has been uttered about using a very Australian and Melbourne-centric term, uh, Collingwood Football Club with Nathan Buckley, was one of the reasons Nathan Buckley got appointed was to make sure that one of the competing teams didn't get him as opposed to because he was the best person for the job going back a number of years. I mean, that is 10 years ago, and I really should get over it. So they're the two elements. But in terms of Rory, has not got payoff. I, I can't see how they can have got a return mm. on that. But then again, I don't think that return is something that is measured as much as it's spruced. Yeah, I think you're right with that. But for me, it's it's possibly it, it's possibly the, the most oh, – it's, it's an absolute flop in my opinion. It's I the biggest it's- waste of money in sport, just about. <laughs> Now, well, fair enough. I'm not a I'm not a huge Rory fan, but apparently I mean, not. But he's no, but his biggest fan base is going to be Northern Ireland or Ireland. That's four million people and Boston, probably a few more. But the <laughs> point is, it's not. And I know I know plenty of Irish um, people who can't stand him either. So it's I don't know, and it, maybe it's not a personality thing, but it's certainly, but certainly, it can be a put off for a lot of people too. And it's been mentioned as one of. And in fact, constantly mentioned in, in a very amusing way, some of Ricky Fowler's battles of, you know, one of the great things about Ricky Fowler missing the cut is that he gets to film 75 more commercials for all his sponsors. <laughs> what, what I will give Rory is that at least the sponsors have not been a distraction. You know, when you look at him, he has not got 55,000 logos on his bag or on his head or on his body. So he's been able to focus on things. And what we don't no, and I think this is the marketing power we never see. We we only see what Nike put out. We don't see the fact that maybe Rory does 15 VIP events, 20 VIP events for mm. Nike's biggest retail customers and, and biggest consumers, other athletes, that creates value for them exponentially beyond what they've spent. Yeah, and that's because, a fair point. Because they're not idiots. Hence, you won't see Nike with us. But I think that there is that, there's got to be that return that at some point in time they get. But how do you ever measure a sponsorship return short of trying to justify a job, to be completely frank? Yeah, no, I think you're right with that too, Phil. I mean, but, I mean do enough people turn on to watch Rory? Or more to the point, will anyone turn off if he's, if he's not playing? So I don't think it's a – I don't think there's enough people that would be turning off for, for them to – it's not around just seeing him on TV, on he, you know, in an event, um, playing a tournament and winning – that that's what we would think, you know, as a layman. That's what you think. That's where the big bucks or, or the the value is in these players. But it, I suppose the point you raise is a pretty good one. That a lot of that value is more than likely behind the closed doors with the big spenders of Nike and he, and experiences where they can use him as a as a promotional tool. So I, I would say then that if we talk about returns, we say welcome on board, and let's go back to Bryson. And I can't list all his sponsors because I turned off halfway through. It was about 28 minutes in and I thought, look, I'm actually really keen to hear how hard you worked in that last round. But, you know, when I got to sponsor number 175, I switched off. But in mm-hmm. terms of who is someone at the moment, like love him or hate him, and there's a lot of people who do both, there was a lot of commentary, even from people representing competitors to his sponsors, 
who went out of their way to switch on to see what Bryson would do on six Absolutely. at Bay Hill. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of needing people like Bryson, so what part of Rory's issue now is that Rory's become, gee, it sounds Rory bashing, but Rory's become vanilla in that, so what's your hook? Mm. So Rory was longer mm. than everyone and he's else. no longer. And we've mm. spoken about this in a few podcasts. What's your hook? What's your sustainable competitive advantage? Bryson's is... And again, we, I don't want to go over old ground because I bored people previously. But Bryson's is this whole length, this size, and the mm. fact that Rory on, on a few holes was two yards shorter than him, often longer than him. No one cares because Bryson holds this. I'm going to hit it further, and I'm going to do it with real excitement and gusto. And it's the yeah. I was going to say it's the way he does it. He tries. To, he he looks like someone who's trying to hit it out of the park, whereas Rory's just got a beautiful swing that just it it doesn't. It looks almost natural. Whereas Bryson, you can see, is just throwing everything at it. It's like a long drive contest almost. It is. And so then to, to throw the Bryson love in there, it is that enthusiasm mm. and it has to be infectious. I mean, like whether you think he should be allowed to hit a ball 365 yards is irrelevant to watching someone then do it. And I've got to tell you that I was watching it and when I put him, saw him throw his arms in the air and walk towards it, I it thought was, that was pretty genuine cool. excitement yeah. Yeah. of – I've nailed it, I've, I've achieved something. And you've got to mm. love, like you have to love that. You have to yeah. love passion for a game we love. And mm. and whether it's the way you think the game should be played, that doesn't matter. He's passionate mm. about the game we love. He's passionate about the history of it. He's passionate about Arnold Palmer and some of the conversations he around that, you know, mentioning that there'd been communication with he and Tiger on the morning of the last round via text, I think speaks volumes to both of those as human beings. And then there was a comment that he made about reference to to Arnold Palmer, that Arnold Palmer loves seeing pros be successful mm. and therefore wishes him well. I wonder maybe it's time for us all to step back and say, yeah, I like success and I like watching people achieve what they've set out to achieve. Because it was just, it was like there was a real thrill. And so Rory was going about his business and Bryson was overtly going about his business. And when you go back to your return question of Nike Golf and Rory versus, say, Puma Golf uh, and Cobra with Bryson and one length and all these other elements, mm. I mean, even the LA golf shafts, like all these other things, it all builds a package that is quite compelling. Yeah. And no, I'd rather 100%. people feel something about me, and a lot of them hate me, than feel nothing about me. Well, being polarizing means you're at least getting some feelings from people. But I've got speaking of feelings, I've got mixed feelings about the whole Bryson approach. Like, I've, it's probably because we won't really know whether it's wor- well whether it's worked until you know it, it's been sustained over a period of time. So it's that waiting for it to prove itself. But that said, I mean, it all sort of comes down to the purpose for why you're doing it. In his approach, it's sort of a make make hay while the sun shines style of approach. If you're in it for the longevity of golf, like a lot of other golfers, and, and you just want to be there for 30 years, well, then you obviously you t- do it a different way. But the problem with that latter one is if you're there for a longer period, a lot more can go wrong, and you have to be at a peak for a lot longer period, obviously. Whereas with what he's doing, at its best, it could actually be genius, Phil. He could, he could pull off some incredible things over a five-year, 10-year period. And at worst, well, it's still proven to be pretty bloody good. He's still he's he's achieved enough to say, to say that it's probably at least half a tick at the moment. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, and it's not due to prodigious length. It is due to prodigious power, and I think there's also a difference between yeah. those two in in his ability to overpower rough 
And again, Andy Johnson on the Friday talks a lot about this idea of the longer hitters, but then the more powerful hitters mm. can cope better with rough than the shorter ones. And we're not going to get onto course design or anything like that. But I'm going back to your marketing point about Rory, is that Rory, let, let's say, and I don't know that this happened, let's say that Rory walks into the Nike's marketing office and so, Rory, what are your plans? Well, I'm going to get to number one in the world. That's awesome. How are you going to do it? I'm just going to be awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Whereas Bryson walks in and says, I've got a method and here's what I'm going to do and here's how it's going to benefit every one of my sponsors. I'm going to use graphite shafts in my irons. I'm going to use irons at all one length. I'm going to carry a 10.5 degree three wood and a seven degree driver. I'm going to hit a ball that therefore spins more that gives me all the launch that I need. I'm going to, I'm going to wear a, a driver's hat, Hogan style. Yeah. I'm going to be ripped, not as ripped as Brooks, but I'm going to be, well, sorry, I'm going to be Jim Big. Bulky. Yeah. I, I'm like big unit. You know, so, He's so a big boy. all these things that excite, hang on, now I've got the Puma golf team excited. And now mm. I've got, from an apparel point of view, and now I've got the Cobra team excited because of the hardware. The flip side of Bryson then is you look at the Lee Westwood example, and again, coming out of Arnold Palmer. But Yeah, I was just going to say, though, Phil, before you get there, that, that distinction you made between the power hitter and the long hitters, because just years, years back, I remember, um, you know, all the sensation around the Canadian long, uh, long drive guy, um, Jamie Sadlowski. Uh, you remember him? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was just, he'd hit the ball at ridiculous lengths. Um, there was so much hype around him, all the talk about him getting to the tour and changing the game, and and he ended up being it ended up being a bit of a almost a sideshow like Happy Gilmore at the driving range. He'd be he'd travel around with Gary McCord, and he was almost being treated a little bit, you know, with all due respect, treated a bit like a circus freak kind of thing. Whereas with Bryson, yep. he's brought he's brought that with a methodology on the course, and he's winning with it. He's literally changing the way in which the game can be played. Not the way it has to be played, but the way that it can be played. And that's that it's, – it's a wonderful distinction you made. I've never really thought about it that way, that it is – it's he's a power hitter. He's not a long hitter. He's just a – yeah, he's a, a beast. And again, you know, mutual admiration society, this idea of it is a, it is a, a way the game can be played, not must mm. to keep up and not have to be. I'm okay to do what I do. And again, if you look at Morikawa winning, you look at – you know, all the different players that have won, uh, mm. even this season, they're not all power players or long players because it's a little bit horses for courses. But then we also see- yeah. But the game's never been that way, Phil. Gary Player was never a long hitter. But Then you had guys who were long hitters, like the Normans. But th- this is the point. You can. There's so many different ways to play golf. And we've as soon as someone calls it out and makes a big deal out of it, you get well. To be fair, he gets a lot of hatred. Now he gets a lot of hatred for different reasons. So I, I don't want to just say that anyone, everyone who dislikes him, dislikes him because he's um, changing the way in which the game's being played or can be played. But I mean, tall poppy syndrome. It is. It's alive and well. One hundred percent. And what was here's another stat that I'm not sure that I actually saw clearly, but I think I did. That said that Bryson's drive on six was the longest drive. Since 2003. So that's so 18 years. So panic, panic, panic. He's hitting a ball too far. And in 18 years of technology, and sure, there could have been a tornado. Please don't give me any more hate mail about my lack of information. But the reality was. Yeah, leave him alone, John <laughs> Bailey. But the, real, the reality was, as cringeworthy as I am, that was the longest drive in 18 years mm. at Bay Hill. And a couple of times, as I say, Rory hit it past him. And then you look up 18, Lee Westwood hit it, you know, that. Oh, Bryson's crushed that drive up 18. And then Westy steps up with his 425 LST 
and just cozies one down there and about eight yards short. Five, yeah, I was going to say about like, five behind him. Yeah. So this is the this is the thing we've got to keep it in perspective. But what I love just getting onto Lee Westwood and how's that for a segue? His approach, his attitude, like is just unbelievable. Anyway, and Kipper speaks relatively highly of the man. In mm. fact, about as high. I think Kipper's got him as about an Uber four point nine. To be fair. Yeah, he's he's right up there. I think Timmy Clark uh, is is a five. He's the only Uber five. Tim Clark <laughs> is the, the top, Uber five. But, but I reckon Westy's pretty high um, up there as but well. But a high, so let's say high fours. So gets down at it, like doing it tough on six. He does his sort of flex, which all, all in good spirits and not not to bag. Bryson gets up to eighteen, finds his ball in a divot. So I just deal with it, and I don't whinge about it. And then mm-hmm. the putt that he hold to put some pressure back on Bryson, you know, he holds it and then turns half to. To probably his missus half to the gallery and gets a whew, look on his face was just genuine good human stuff. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's got a good sense of humour too. But I was what I love to say about Westy, he often cops a lot of flack for his um for his putting. His putting is just inconsistent though. I mean, he's he was draining some monster putts over and over again, and then then he would hit one. That didn't quite get anywhere near the hole, but uh, but Westy, yeah. Getting back to him, just on what you were saying, it reminded me of it stuck with me. This interview, it was a post Masters interview. I think it was twenty ten, Phil Mickelson one, and Westy was that close to his first major again. He played out of his skin, yet he had so much grace and such such a just an acceptance of yeah, no, that you know Phil deserved it. He was just it was such a humble interview uh, it just showed that the guy's got some he's got some real class about him and they were waiting for him to fall too there are a couple of, i know azinga is not my favorite commentator <laughs> but uh, i don't think he's anyone's favorite commentator but azinga a couple of times mentioned you know this whole oh it's a usa versus england because he hates the english mm. due to manners probably and and a few other things so a usa versus england thing and then he mentions coming down the stretch that a bad shot that Westwood hit in the Masters against Willett, like he was wishing bad things. He was wishing that he misses a four-foot putt. And then his, his putt on 18, I, I almost thought that I heard him just go, oh, bugger, <laughs> when Westwood <laughs> held that little putt because it was a tricky putt. And even Westwood knew that he was likely to miss it and everyone was waiting for him to miss it. But the reality is, is that he just has that desire to keep grinding and grinding and grinding. Mm. He's 47. He's still my he's still my absolute with a bullet number one best golfer not to not to win a um major. And I don't reckon he's done. And when you look at the length, I mean yeah. he's got plenty of length. He loves shaping the ball. I, I don't reckon he's done. He, he's a smoky there's a tournament coming up yep. in a month's time. I see I see him as very much like a Darren Clark that in in that he can pop up and win a um, we, actually, that's probably not even fair to, to Westy because because Clark winning the um the Open, no one really saw that coming. But Westwood could do something like that. I have no doubt. I think he will. I actually think he will leave this game with at least a major. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope mm. so. But they're not. None of these things are, are guaranteed. No, of course. But speaking of speaking of major winners, Phil, I want to move on to one of my absolute favourites, and he's coming back, and I'm excited. And Kipper counted him out, and he's. Back, I tells you, Jordan Spieth. Did Kipper count him out or did he keep picking him? He said, <laughs> he said, and don't quote me precisely, but it was along the lines of, I'm going to tip him to do something in this tournament. I think it was last Masters, wasn't it? And he said, if he doesn't do anything here, then he's done. He is done. He used the word done. So what he meant is- to- Well, he's not done, Kipper. He's back. So f- form is temporary. 
Clive's is permanent, which is one of my favourite lines that mm. um, you know I've ever heard out of the mouth. In fact, the first time I heard it was Michael Long, outstanding golfer from New Zealand. But there is that idea that that if you have that class about you, you're going to make it through just with desire. And he's, he was always going to be too talented. And if we go back to mm. the, all those podcasts when Kip was bagging him, I will absolutely stand firm to say he is too good a player to not mm. come back. He's too good a player to not come back. So he's now had four top tens for the first time since he last won. Yeah. Um, will it be enough? There's a big gap, as Tony for now, for now, for now knows. There's a big gap between a top ten and a top five and then breaking through for the victory. And then the question is, once you break through, is that then it? Or mm. is there that desire to go again and again and again, Tom Brady well, style? Well, what stood what stood out for me over the last month or so is that his putting is back, which makes him deadly because he's at his best. He's the best putter on on tour, in my opinion. He's he's also chipping in and holing he's from bunkers, holing them from everywhere. Um, the X, so he's got that, and he's got that X factor. I remember like way back at the John Deere um, years ago, and he's he's winning tournaments. He's flo- he's holding out from the bunker. He's, he's loving it again. He's getting excited. The crowd's up and around him. He's got an X factor similar to the, that of Tiger. You know, that Tiger could – you know that he could do something incredible at any given moment. I'll put this to you, Phil. Is Jordan Spieth – is he the Bitcoin of golf? He's he's gone through that crypto winter. He's, um, you know, many doubted his worth. And now he's, he's coming back and he's starting to show that – He's going to take all and sundry. I'm telling you, he's coming. There's an, I mean, that argument could also apply to Bryson, and just you could just argue that the rest of the field are, are altcoins riding his wave. But I, I want to say that it's Spathy. He's obviously he has to start winning again. I, I've, but he's knocking on that door every week at the moment, and he's a proven winner. He's a proven champion, and best of all, he's only he's only 27. Phil, so I see so much upside to Spieth. My only query is how much mental damage has been done in the past two years. But I think he's one of the stronger stronger mental players out there. So, Did you just describe him as the Bitcoin of golf? Yes, I did. He is the Bitcoin of golf. Sorry, I got lost. He will be worth, he will be worth plenty, plenty. He should have been the one getting the 200 mil in my opinion. Well, he probably did. Yeah, well, he probably did. <laughs> but I think there is one thing about Spieth, and I don't know whether it annoys me, and it's probably more a question for Kipper, but he couldn't join us because he was too important. Kipper, uh, Spieth and his caddy Grella talk mm-hmm. like they're mic'd up. I mean, it's so loud, yeah. their conversation with each other, that I wonder mm-hmm. how much of that he's trying to put off, man, I couldn't believe that putt went left, mm-hmm. designed to potentially put doubt on the green reading books. Uh, of the cheats that use them. <laughs> so I find it fascinating, their conversations. Yeah. I love just list- – That's I'd rather he- listen to that every shot than your boy Azinger bad-mouthing everyone who's not American. But they're loud. I- I'd love to listen to them if they were mocked and were therefore – and maybe they're just loud people. And so, I- therefore, I love the passion. But it stands out more when everyone around you is quiet it stands out more that they're talking. Like he'll hit a shot that'll miss a green and it's like he's screaming out, yeah, you're right there, Mick. But I don't know how much of it is, is just the way they are. Even, mm. But I guess he's been doing it forever and they've both been doing it forever. So I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised by it. I think Spieth's a pretty – I think he's a pretty um, true character to who he is. I don't, think, I don't think there's too much being put on. So, yeah, no, I'm also obviously a bit of a fan, so I'm, I'm probably not the right person to ask, Phil, because uh, Spieth to me is probably Bryson to you. No, no, no. That, that's unfair. But it was, it was intended it would be to be fair to say that Spieth is your anti-Rory, whereas I don't know that I've got any disdain. I probably need to find someone that I can start hating on 
shoot it because you've really got you got Rory in your sights. I can't hate on Bryson. I can't hate on maybe Azinga is just me. <laughs> I don't. Know. You've you've gone you've gone hard on on the uh, most affable bloke on tour before, Matty Kuchar. No, what I went hard on was his <laughs> desire to get a shovel and move sand around because he felt the shot was just a little bit too tricky because he was in a bad headspace. But otherwise, his smile... I- Tiger had spectators move a boulder, Phil. So yeah, but it's <laughs> you a can't have it both ways. Look, you just got to move a mountain every now and again. It's a movable instruction if you've got the manpower to do it. I'm all for that. And, you know, if Costas the gardener had been there for Rory to get that sand iron out of the cactus rather than smashing it all over that bloke, then I would have brought in Costas to actually dig up mm. the cactus and relocate that. I don't think there's an issue with it. Is that Bob Costas? Uh, Costas. I can't even think of his last name. No, it's not Bob Costas, but thank you for <laughs> saving that. I've got another question, though, Shooter, and it does relate to loosely to Westwood's putting. Mm-hmm. And here is my question. Is the fourth putt in golf the hardest? <laughs> and I'll give you some context to it. I'd like to say you're asking the wrong person. Yeah, so, sorry, go on. So I'll paint you the picture. So I was lucky enough to be playing at Yarra Yarra, and I was on the 11th, one of the iconic par threes of the world. So three-tiered green... Pin, yeah. pin cut tight over the right trap, just over the right trap. So I've hit seven iron, somehow it got there, it was 160 out, into a gale and got there with <laughs> seven iron. Sorry, no, it, it was downwind. Tailwind, yeah. And hit it to the back of the green, hit a great shot to the back of the green. Rolled my first putt down to three feet. That's your range, Phil. You never miss from there. Which is my range. My playing partner then holds his putt from 20 feet for the par. Mm-hmm. So my next putt trickled past. And my next truck putt trickled past. So my question to you is the fourth putt, is there a harder putt in golf <laughs> than the fourth putt? Where I'm not, because you're not tapping it in at that stage, you're actually getting angrier and everyone is going to two feet. Like Nate Lashley at Pebble Beach, every putt's going to two feet. And as I'm saying that, I'm actually hitting the putting stroke with my hand because you're getting more and more pissed off. You don't lag your third putt, so your fourth is a tap in. So is the fourth putting golf the hardest? Wow. Wow. It's almost like I was going to – I could probably relate more is the fourth shot off the tee the hardest. But Well, you can't play four off the tee. You've got to play five. You've got to play <laughs> no, odds off the tee. Damn it. <laughs> you, you and your facts and figures. Good point. Is it the hardest? Yeah, of course it is. That's the mental side of the game, isn't it? That's the that's the thing that if you take the emotion out of it, it's no no more difficult than any other part. But obviously because we don't like to choke, Phil. I'm offended by the suggestion that it was accurate. And choke I did. And with great glory I choked and it didn't matter that I birdied two of the last three. I still lost. This has been fun, Phil. It's been fun to catch up. It's been a joy, Shooter, and it's been too long. But I can tell you we've got some topics. We're going to get both Kipper and Davman in in the next couple of weeks. We've got a, a little bit on. But there is some there is some heavy-hitting topics that we need to go through. So hang on. This was just our, uh, our chance to get back in touch with, with our podcast side of life. Mm, absolutely, Phil. I'm glad it's good to be back, and we'll uh, we'll certainly be getting these out a lot more regularly now that we are at the tail end of Golf Baron season two, which will be wrapped up shortly. And fair to say, Phil, it's a big step up on season one. Well, how could it not be? Well, that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Thanks for listening. Be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com to hear everything that's happening in the Golf Barons world. Until then, add some swagger to your swing.